Oh, happy girl. Come on, girls. Y'all give it up. Come on. Give it up for the great team. I know all of y'all were a part of this great team that put Happy Girl together. Um, and thank you. Thank y'all. Y'all may have a seat. Um, to pastors Kevin and Adrian for allowing me to be here. Um, I counted a true privilege. Um, we've connected through C3 Conference, which is a conference that our church hosts each year, um, a leadership conference, and then also through um, C3 Global, which really that's where I met um, Adrian was as we were preparing to go on a trip to Haiti with a group of pastor's wives. So um, I just consider it a true privilege and honor um, to get to know you and I know that you said you've said so many sweet things about me and I'm like no it's about you thank you thank you thank you so how are y'all doing today I'm I'm excited to be here um my name is Lisa Young and uh, my husband and I pastor in Dallas Texas we started Fellowship Church 30 years ago uh, just at 30 years ago this coming February um, with my husband and I, um, one dog, one car, one kid, and we headed to Dallas, and now um, several children later, several dogs later, and several people later, we have Fellowship Church, and Dallas is our main area uh, just north of the DFW airport, but we also have campuses in Miami, Southwest Florida, Norman, Oklahoma, so it's been fun. It's been something that's truly stretched me. When uh, Adrian told me that the series that I would be speaking in would be stretch marks, you know, every woman, when they hear the word stretch marks, they're like, oh boy, <laughs> let's just talk about stretch marks. And uh, and so I watched Pastor Kevin's wonderful message and uh, Pastor Adrian's last week, and, and um, I had an intention of showing a picture of me when I was expecting, but when she showed a picture of her, I thought, I don't want to be that person that one-ups the pastor's wife, um, because she showed this beautiful picture of her pregnant and um, with the baby. I think, it was it Garrison or Gavin? Gavin. Um, and so... And I just could totally show you a picture today and one-up her because I am the mother of four, the last two being twins. Now, twin pregnancies tend to cause you to enlarge your tent. <laughs> and uh, back then, tent dresses were the most popular maternity dresses, so my tent was large. In fact, I broke the girth record at my OBGYN's office. That's something you want to come home and tell your husband, guess what, honey? We're competitive, aren't we? I broke the girth record at the doctor's office because you're supposed to be 40 centimeters, one centimeter for every week of gestation. So that's 40 weeks, 40 centimeters. I was at 39 weeks, 52 centimeters. I did not break the weight record. I broke the girth record. But if I had done the weight record, I would have celebrated and said, oh, yes, we are winners. <laughs> but I'm not going to show that picture. Um, I think it's best left um, on the editing room floor. So it is a great honor to be here today and to talk about stretching. And, and we have talked about stretching in somewhat of a term that, you know, when you think of stretching, you think, oh, uncomfortable. Well, as Christ followers, you know, when we receive Jesus, we are comforted by Christ. But as we walk out his will in our lives, we become uncomfortable for him. So we're comforted by Christ, but we're uncomfortable or stretched for him. 
And that's a part of the Christian life. But today I want to share with you the possibility of stretching, reaching toward Jesus. Stretching toward Jesus. I love our family text because in our family text, my kids send me pictures of things that they're doing. And, you know, it's quite amusing. My husband is actually off today. He's not preaching. And he has been going through his pictures and sending me funny pictures just from his, you know, camera roll on his phone. And I'm like, where are these photos coming from? But it's really enjoyable to receive them. And I received a video yesterday of my grandson, who is a year old. My daughter sent it to me. His name is Thunder. Thunder James Kelly, and he is absolutely brilliant. He's so cute, and he is brilliant, because I saw in this video, he walked up to the pantry door. He's a year old. He started walking at 10 months, advanced. That's what we call advanced. Come on, you can celebrate an advanced grandchild that's somebody else's grandchild. And so he walked, he toddled up to that pantry door, and it doesn't have a knob, it has a handle. And so he got on his little cute fat muscle legs. I know that doesn't go together, fat and muscle, but he got on it. You know, his little calves were stretching, and he's reaching, and he knows that if he can grab that handle, he's smart enough to know that he's watched his mom and dad get really good stuff out of that pantry. Behind that door is opportunity. And so he reaches and he reaches and he just barely gets it. And he pulls it and he turns around and looks at the camera. My daughter's filming and just has this smile on his face like, look what I did. He stretched for something really awesome. And that's what we're going to visit today in Mark chapter 5. Are you with me with having a, a good Bible story today? Uh, Mark chapter 5 is the text that we're going to be looking at, and I titled this message, The Tale of Two Miracles. The Tale of Two Miracles. Before we dive into Mark chapter 5, I want to show you two very important members of our family. Our dogs. Here you go. This is Ava and Emma. I know. Aren't they just the cutest? This is, um, they're sitting in a cart that I made for the flower girl and ring bearer of our daughter's wedding. And so after the festivities were over, we put them in the cart and took their pictures. And really, I'm thinking that they should have been in the wedding. I mean, what were we thinking? But on the left, <clears throat> you have Ava. Ava is a multi-poo, and at that time she was about six years old, and um, Ava has an interesting story. She uh, is from East Texas. Now, we live in Dallas, and there's a town called Hawkins, which is about two hours east of Dallas, and um, that's where she's from. And how she came to live with us is a little story like this. We've always had big dogs, really big dogs, like we've had a Rottweiler, Bull Mastiff, English Mastiff, Dobermans, big dogs. And my husband and I talked about it. I said, you know, I want a frou-frou dog. He said, Lisa, we are not frou-frou dog people. And I said, well, I really do want a frou-frou dog. He, said, he goes, big dog, we're big dog. I said, honey, if you get another big dog, I'm getting a frou-frou dog. So I went to speak for a friend of mine in uh, Tampa, Florida. And on the way home that evening from the session that we had done, uh, I'm looking at my text, and I get one of those great texts in the family text, and it's a picture of my husband and my daughter holding puppies, Italian Mastiff puppies. 
And I'm like, oh, y'all went to visit some dogs. No, they had brought them home. And this is what happens when I go out of town, you know? And so I'm like, you did not. We're supposed to make these decisions together. You know, joint decisions. He goes, it was a joint decision with our oldest daughter, Lee Beth. And I was like, that's not how this works. So anyway, once I get to my hotel room, I'm like, okay. Fru-fru dog, here we come. And I went straight to my computer, opened my laptop, and I started searching Google. Uh, fluffy dogs in Dallas. And <laughs> I'm like, that could pop something up that's not good. But I, I looked, and I found the cutest little puppy that didn't even have its eyes open. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is the one. I'm going to find it. Come to find out, that's Ava. And Ava, was, her mom is, was a poodle, and her dad was a Maltese. And so she's a Maltipoo. And her parents were rescued from an abandoned trailer park in East Texas. And when they went to spay the mom, they found out that she was pregnant, and Ava is one of the puppies. So I was chosen to get to adopt Ava. And that was about eight and a half years ago. And then Emma. Emma is a golden doodle, and she came to live with us like this. Now, my husband is a fisherman. He will, any fisherman in the house, he will chase, no fisherman in the house? Come on, be proud. You're here on Sunday. You could have fished on Saturday, um, and you can fish this afternoon if you want to. But uh, it's, my husband says it's a biblical sport because Jesus was best friends with fishermen. So my husband will chase anything with fins and scales, and he loves to saltwater fly fish. He's a bass fisherman, but he loves to saltwater fly fish, and he's really good at it, and he actually fishes competitively. That's his hobby. So he was going on one of these trips, and he, he usually goes to the Florida Keys, but sometimes he'll do the Bahamas or some Central American place, you know. And so my daughter, Landra, said, Dad, you go on these trips mom doesn't do anything for herself. Like, you have to pay to go on these trips. And you spend money. Mom should get to do something. I'm like, wow, I raised this girl right. And she's, she, he looks at her. He says, Landry, your mom can do anything. She's free to do anything she wants to. And I was like, okay. I mean, I knew that, but I really hadn't acted upon it. And so he leaves to go on this trip. And Landry goes, Mom, what you going to do? What you going to do? I said, I don't know, honey. And I'm sure Ed was thinking like maybe a spa day or a piece of jewelry or something. But Landra suggested a dog. Hence, we have Emma. And Emma is not from an abandoned trailer park. She comes from a very nice breeder. She flew via Southwest Airlines to Dallas in a crate. And we went to the airport and picked her up. And, you know, she has all the big, you know, signatures by her name and these papers. And her mom and dad have some special title and all this stuff. So if you look at these two dogs, they are from completely opposite worlds. Ava is from the wrong side of the tracks, the little multi-poo. Emma is from the pedigree line. But either way you look at it, they both hit the jackpot because they were adopted by our family, and we are nutso about dogs. Absolutely cuckoo for, uh, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs crazy about dogs. I'm sad to say that five weeks ago, Ava passed away. I know. I, it's, it's, it's hard, but I show this proudly because Ab, she's just, she was just the best dog ever. Sorry, Emma, but she was just so awesome. Um, but they come from different sides of the track. 
and yet they are both so dearly loved by our family. The tale of two miracles that we're going to look at today is found in Mark chapter 5, and it's about two people, a man and a woman, who come from complete opposite ends of the spectrum, one from the wrong side of the tracks and one from the pedigree uh, side of the tracks, one from the more ch more popular, sought-after side of the tracks. So I'd like to just dive into Mark chapter 5 and read some of the scripture, and we're just going to unpack it as we go. Is that okay? All right, so I want to first define for you the word miracle, the word miracle. It's a word that we hear a lot, so let's, let's just look at what it means when we say the word miracle. Miracle is an event that appears inexplicable by the laws of nature and so held to be supernatural in origin or an act of God. Also, it can be described as an unlikely positive result in a difficult circumstance or a difficult situation. Say situation. Situation. This tale of two miracles that we're going to look at in Mark chapter 5 are about two people who had difficult situations. The first is a woman. Let's just unpack it. In fact, you know how in the Bible it'll have like in your Bible, and I'm old school. I mean, I know a lot of people read them online and on, you know, your phone. I think that's so cool and hip and sexy, but I really like to go old school with the scripture, you know, paperclip my notes inside, and, and that just might be that I'm old school. But I love that in, at the top it gives a header, and the header of this particular passage of scripture says this. A dead girl and a sick woman. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I can't wait to read this novel. A dead girl and a sick woman. So that's the situation. A dead girl and a sick woman. Here is how the story goes. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, and this lake is the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but really it's a, just a ginormous lake. And this is where Jesus spent the lion's share of his three-year ministry um, around the Sea of Galilee. He was born in Bethlehem. His hometown was Nazareth, but he was rejected, so he went to Capernaum, and his home base was Capernaum. This is where Peter's house was. Um, this is where he would operate from and go across the sea and back. And it says he crossed uh, over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Now, this is an important fact because Jairus was a synagogue ruler. And what do we know about the leaders and rulers of the synagogue? We know that they had an issue with Jesus. Jesus was Jewish, but he was teaching a messianic message. He was teaching and healing, and the, the synagogue leaders were like, excuse me, no, this does not fall into the pattern or tradition of what we know to be uh, taught in the synagogue. So for Jairus to approach Jesus took some courage. It took some stepping out of his comfort zone. It took some stretch for him to step out of the synagogue and out of what was comfortable for him and approach Jesus. But guess what? Jairus was desperate. When we are in a desperate situation 
and we are feeling stretched in that situation, that is the time that we need to stretch out of our comfort zone toward Jesus like we've never stretched before. So Jairus is going through, he, he's coming out of the synagogue and going to meet Jesus And it says, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. Verse 22, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. He fell at the feet of Jesus. That is a visible act of an inward posture. I need to fall at the feet of Jesus. When I am being stretched in any situation, when I need a miracle in a situation, and I don't know what your situation might be today. Your situation might be that you're in a financial crunch. And and tomorrow morning you're going to go to work and you're going to be trying to figure out how to make it all pan out on a piece of paper with your spreadsheet. It might be in a relationship with a child where there's rebellion and and difficulty and you're having to work through some discipline things. It could be with your spouse. It could be the fact that you're single and you're looking for a spouse and you're like, God, why, why haven't you given me a spouse yet? I don't know what your situation. It could be a health situation. But a miracle begins with a situation. And the first thing that we have to do with our situation is to fall at the feet of Jesus. Step out of our comfort zone. Step out of that place that we're we're comfortable with and stretch toward Jesus. So Jesus went with him. Don't you know that Jairus was just like, yes, he is coming home with me. My daughter will be healed. Jesus, thank you. And I'm sure in Jairus' mind he's thinking, Jesus must know who I am. He knows the prestige I hold in the community because I'm a synagogue ruler. He must know that, you know, hey, this would be a great way to bridge the gap with the synagogue people, the leaders of the Jews. This would be a great way that I could help Jesus. So I know that's probably why Jesus has agreed to come with me. Have you ever thought that Jesus kind of is benefited from you? I have. I've I've held myself up so high sometimes that it's, oh, I'm sure Jesus is doing this because I've done ABCD. Jesus, he doesn't need my ABCD. You know why Jesus came with Jairus? Jairus so wholly and completely exhibited his need as he fell at Jesus' feet. There wasn't a title. There wasn't a Uh, uh, location. There wasn't some qualifications. He had fallen at Jesus' feet, and Jesus agrees to go with him. So they're making their way, and look what happens. It says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, this woman is not named in this passage, but historians will will tell us that they believe her name was Veronica. And Veronica was from a town probably 20 miles away. So she had really worked to get to stretch to Jesus. And she had a situation as well. It was a situation of bleeding. Um, You know, typically a woman will have an issue with blood once a month. She had a continual issue with blood. 
What did that mean for her? Well, she already was low on the totem pole because she was a woman. In that day and age, women did not uh, hold the, the level of opportunity, the level of status as a man did. It's just the way it was in that day. So she already had that going against her. She was a female. But secondly, she had an issue of blood. What was the requirement for a woman with an issue of blood during that time? It was to leave your community. You had to step away from your home and your community, be separate for that period of time, and then you could come back and rejoin. It was just the culture. She had a lot of stuff going against her. She was the Ava of this story. She's the Ava. Jairus is the Emma. Jairus came from the right side of the tracks. Veronica came from the wrong side of the tracks. And yet she pressed in. She stretched because what? She had a situation toward Jesus. Let's continue reading. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Now, Jesus is fully man but fully God. So do you think Jesus really was asking the question, um, Who touched me? He knew. He knew who touched him. But yet, he asked that rhetorical question, because he wanted her to come forth. She never expected a face-to-face with Jesus. All she wanted to do, think about how great her faith was. Just, just touch the garment. If I just touch the garment, if I just stretch and reach for Jesus, it says that she too fell at his feet. Powerful things happen in our lives when we fall at the feet of Jesus. But you know what? I'm busy. I'm so busy, and I like to tell people I'm so busy. You know, I've got appointments tomorrow, and I've got things to do, and I've got kids that need me, and I've got all this stuff, and I've got things going on in my life, and all these pressing matters that are stretching me, stretching me, stretching me, stretching me. But I will fail miserably in all of those things if I don't first fall at the feet of Jesus, if I don't first stretch toward Jesus? Are you reaching? Are you on your tippy toes going, Jesus? You know, he stretched for you and me. Are we stretching to meet him? Stretching toward Jesus. Okay, the story continues. So at once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him. He said, who touched me? Verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? The disciples, you know, they, they just keep us laughing, and, and they keep us humble because we go, oh, I'm kind of like those disciples. I think I would have said, Jesus, are you for real? You're going to ask who is touching you with all these people around? It could have been anybody, but Jesus knew there was a, a specific person who had a need, who had a situation and was in need of a miracle. So he asked that question. And he says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling. Don't you know she's just scared to death, not only because she's a woman, but because she had this issue. And she's, she didn't expect to come face to face with Jesus. I think sometimes I just want to 
kind of stay in the background and touch the hem of his garment. And I don't want to just be face to face with him because maybe he's going to deal with me more than I thought. And maybe I just want to touch the hem of his garment to, to get help with what I recognize is wrong with me. But if I meet him face to face, he's going to, he's going to deal with me in bigger ways than I ever anticipated. You see, Jesus wanted to come face to face with this woman. And so he looks at her, or she's in trembling with fear, and then she told him the whole truth. She confessed to him. And I don't know all the things that were going on in her life other than the fact that she was a woman, she dealt with blood, and she'd been paying, she probably was broke because the scripture said she paid doctors over and over and over again with all the money she had, and she never got well. So she probably was in poor finances. I don't know all that she had to tell him, but it says he t she told him the truth. The gospel is good news. It's good news. But so often, we just want to jump to the good news, and we've got to discuss the bad news. And the bad news is this. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and we've got junk to deal with. But we can't deal with it. Only God can deal with So we talk about the bad news so that we can get to the good news. Because Jesus is the good news and he will overcome our bad news. But it starts with a confession. A confession. I've got to tell the truth about my situation. Coming into church... We get dressed up. We, we have our stuff together. You know, we, we're, we're smiling, and, and that's good. We don't want to come in all down and, oh, my gosh, woe is me. But spiritually speaking, we need to come clean with our situations. Come clean with lack of forgiveness toward family members or loved ones or friends. We need to tell the truth about maybe a lying situation. Tell the truth about some kind of a behavior, an addiction. Jesus doesn't gloss over anything. He notices everything. And he wants us to tell the truth about that. Because when we tell the truth about it, that's when the real miracle can happen. That's when the supernatural can fall on our natural if we will just be truthful about it. So Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So while Jesus was st still speaking, some men from Jairus' house come out in verse 35 and say, Your daughter is dead. They said, Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter's dead. I don't know why you're even standing here anymore. And don't you know Jairus is like, Jesus, um, you know, I I got to you first. Did you not notice that, Jesus? I was, I was here first. Plus, I'm a man. Plus, I have high status in the community. But, Jesus, you delayed me for her? Yikes. And then these guys come out of his house. And they're like, she's dead. Don't, worry. Don't bother him anymore. In other words, all hope is lost. We need to be careful about the people that we have close around us who are telling us, don't bother with Jesus anymore. Don't bother with Jesus anymore. I want to go where I'm celebrated, not where I'm tolerated. And we need people in our lives, the right they. Tough, honest, encouraging, and yielded. 
the wrong they are going to say, don't mess with it anymore. Nope, it's a hopeless situation. But the right they will be tough. They're going to stand with you in the good times and the bad times. They're going to be honest. They're going to say, you know, your daughter's dead, but let's press into Jesus more. They're going to be encouraging. They're going to say, you know what? This situation looks bleak, but we're, we are here for you. We're encouraging you because God is bigger than this situation. And they're going to be yielded to God and to your friendship. Do you see that that spells they? T-H-E-Y. Tough, honest, encouraging, and yielded. And in the middle of the word they is H-E, which spells what? He. God is at the center of it. So these guys come out and they tell uh, Jairus, they don't bother him anymore. Don't bother him anymore. And ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow except for Peter, James, and John. See, he, Jesus wanted the right they to be around Jairus. These guys that were saying, oh, don't bother me anymore, all hope is lost. He goes, I'm going to bring some people around you who are going to be the right day. And so they go towards Jairus' home. And he said, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? She's not dead. She's asleep. And I'm sure they're like, Jesus, we checked her pulse. She's not asleep. She's dead. Jesus says, she is asleep, and I'm about to wake her up. I am going to wake her up. But they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Can you take the laughter of the crowds in place of the miracle of Jesus? There's some people who are going to laugh at your faith. Laugh at the fact that you come to church. Laugh at the fact that you're volunteering at a happy conference. Laugh at the fact that you get up early to be here early so you can do things that nobody else sees. People laugh about that, and they don't understand it. But Jesus sees it, and he knows that the miracle is about to happen. So after he put them all out of the house, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. You know, we're often astonished even though we have anticipated. We anticipate a miracle, but then when God delivers it, we're astonished. It's just our human nature. We just, we can't help ourselves. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this because he knew there would be misunderstanding. And told them, and I love this, give her something to eat. <laughs> give her something to eat. How practical is Jesus? Give her something to eat because you know what? He knew she was going to live and she needed sustenance not only for today but for tomorrow because she was going to be alive. And she had a life to lead, and so she needed energy, and she needed food. Just give her some food. The tale of two miracles. I want to give you quickly just some application points that will help us understand how we need to anticipate a miracle. The first thing, I, I've already given you the definition of a miracle, an unlikely positive outcome in a difficult situation. But a miracle begins with a situation. So if you have a situation, don't fret. That is when the miracle occurs, with a situation. 
A miracle begins with a situation. Whatever your situation is, you name it, you pray over it, you read scripture about it, concerning it, you share it with a dear friend in community that you can trust and who will hold your confidence, but you don't be ashamed of your situation. Situations are what our lives are made up of, and that's what miracles come from. So... Miracles begin with a situation. How about this one? Jesus looks at our faith rather than our failure. As, as Veronica came to, and even Jairus too, but as Veronica came to Jesus, he could have looked at her and said, well, you're a woman. I can't talk to you. Well, you have an issue with blood. I can't, I, my power can't, can't touch you. No. He wasn't concerned with her past and the fact that she came from the wrong side of the tracks. He was concerned with her faith. Her faith. The Bible says that we, we need faith just the size of a mustard seed. Just the size of a mustard seed. I've had many people say to uh, my husband and I as we are in ministry and we you know, share Christ with different people and they'll say, I just don't have enough faith. I just don't have enough faith. Oh, surely you can, and maybe this is where the phrase comes from, muster up the faith the size of a mustard seed. That's all it takes. All it takes. So Jesus saw her faith, not her failure. Faith is about quality, not quantity. And this goes alongside of it. Just that little bit of faith. She didn't need mass buckets of faith. She just needed that little bit of faith. Jairus just needed a little bit of faith. And it was demonstrated by both of them as they fell at the feet of Jesus. Jairus could have been saying, wow, I don't want anybody to see my faith because if those Jewish leaders see my faith, then maybe I'll be ostracized from my job and from what I do in the synagogue because I've approached Jesus, but yet that faith drew him to Jesus. That faith. So it's faith is about quality, not about quantity. A personal experience demands a public response. A personal experience with Jesus demands a public response. I've heard it many times. In fact, I'll, I'll just tell you, um, we were, my husband and I were sharing, this has probably been 20 years ago, with a professional athlete that had a platform to influence people like few of us will ever know. And he attended Fellowship Church, and he was getting married. And as Ed always does, is when he's counseling someone for marriage, you make sure that they are followers of Christ. Because to set yourself up in a great marriage, that's important. And so he was meeting with the two of them. And, and if I mention this guy's name, all of you, most of I would believe, would know you. Even the girls, you'd know him. And so he, Ed was talking to him and went through everything. And he said, yes, Ed, I'm a Christian but I keep it private because I don't want to impose that on anyone else. Ed looked at him and he called his name and he said, do you want Jesus to be private to the Father about you? You know, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he tells the Father about his children. And all I know is I want Jesus next to God saying, Lisa, 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 Lisa. I don't want it to be private. Jesus publicly hung on a cross for me. He publicly hung on a cross for you. It's not a private deal. 
So do not be ashamed. Jesus called out people to say, you know, stand. You are, you are this person who I am healing. You are this person who I am touching. We cannot be bashful about our faith. We don't want to be obnoxious, but we don't want to be bashful about our faith because Jesus wasn't bashful about our faith. A personal experience demands a public response. How about this one? Jesus healed some people physically, but healed more people spiritually. Right now, I am praying for, oh, four or five people for physical healing. And interestingly enough, I don't know all of these people personally. I follow designers and uh, decorators on Instagram. And so once you start following them, sometimes they'll interject personal stuff and I've got several of those who, one of them whose husband is battling a very, very rare form of cancer, and I'm praying for his healing. Um, another is a woman whose husband is in the hospital in Atlanta, and the CDC is trying to figure out what is wrong with him. He's just got something that they can't identify. Another is a little girl who, on August 22nd, she fell just off of a golf cart, but hit her head in such a way that she has a traumatic brain injury, and she's just... You know, she's not coming back the way physically she needs to come back. And I'm praying with these people that I don't even know for a physical miracle. And there are others that I'm praying for physical miracles that I do know. But I'm praying for spiritual miracles even more. Because as excited as we get about seeing somebody, like if we had, if we had courtside seats to seeing Jairus' 12-year-old daughter not breathing or asleep, as in dead, and we saw her raised up, we would probably be doing hallelujah marches all around the building and going, oh my gosh, she's, she's, she's alive, she's alive, she's alive, and that's awesome. We should celebrate that. But seeing someone who is dead spiritually receive Jesus Christ and become alive spiritually, I believe is the greater miracle. I just do, if there is such a thing as a greater miracle. So shouldn't we just be going, oh my gosh, hallelujah, heaven gained another habitat. So there's physical healing and there's spiritual healing, but we should be so celebrating the spiritual healings among us, and we should pray as diligently for the spiritual healings as we do for the physical healings. I need to add to my prayer list some people who do not have a home in heaven, and I need to be praying for them as much as I'm praying for those people I just told you about. I need to, and so do you. That's our responsibility. And then we go on to a condition or a situation changes. A condition change creates a culture change. Now, when Veronica was going to go back 20 miles to her little town, they were going to notice that she was different. She had been an outcast. She had been sick. And now she's going to be well. And she's going to go back to her home. And she's going to change the culture of her hometown because of the change that came about from Jesus dealing with her situation. Jesus has dealt with some situations in this room. He's dealt with some situations with me. Are you changing the culture because of his condition change in your life? What's different about your family? What's different about your workplace? What's different about your home? Because of the condition change that Jesus has done in your life. That's a great question to ask. Here's another one. Waiting on Jesus is part of following Jesus. Don't you know Jairus was just ticked? I, I'm just assuming that he would be a little bit like me. He had to wait. He had to wait for Jesus' timing. 
We are never promised a miracle in our time frame and on our terms. We are to subject ourselves to God dealing with our situation in his time frame and on his terms because he's perfect. Following Jesus takes effort. And I love, love, love this. Veronica traveled 20 miles. Some of us don't want to travel two miles to get to church. Some of us are like, and I just want to applaud you because you made the effort today. You did. And I did too. When I was, um, you know, a young mom of four children and my husband's preaching and he's at the church and, and I was like a single mom on Sundays and, and getting twins dressed. I had the last two were twins and my son was two. And then I had a seven year old who knew everything about everything and was telling me how I didn't know anything about anything. And so doing, getting all that together on a, on a Sunday morning was, was tough. And my sister who lives in another state, she, she told me, she said, Lisa, you might want to put a mirror in the garage just to make sure that you're fully dressed before you get in the car and head to church. I think she was really concerned about me. That's what older sisters are for. And so seriously, it took effort. And it's the effort that was worth it because my effort is so minimal in comparison to how God wants to deal with my situation. And I need community. I need to be, I'm better because of community and because of being at the church and subjecting myself to the teaching of, of the word. And finally, Jesus will heal and deal with my situation. He will heal and deal. Or maybe you want to say he will deal and heal with my situation. In 1980, the Winter Olympics were played in, or I don't know, played, hosted in Lake Placid, New York. The United States hockey team was to go up against Russia. And basically, it was a, a, a no-chance win for the United States. Russia had the biggest, baddest hockey players in the world. Uh, Coach Herb Brooks assembled a team of roughnecks and uh, some of them were in college, but most of them were just from ice rinks around the north and, and, Can and not Canada, but in the U U.S., but U.S. citizens. And he gathered them together, and there was no chance that they were going to beat Russia. And this was in the preliminary rounds where they were trying to go for the gold. This match was not for the gold, but it was to get you toward the goal. So, you know, everybody watched and cheered because it was the USA and it was the Olympics, but nobody really expected anything to come of it. But as the game approached the end and the United States was winning, Herb, uh, I mean, Al Michaels, the sportscaster, gave one of the most famous phrases in sports. He goes, do you believe in miracles? And, and people were like, we're getting ready to witness a miracle because the U.S. hockey team is absolutely going to beat the Russians. And he says, do you believe in miracles? And the guy sitting next to him goes, yes. That's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. Do you believe in miracles? Because we all have situations. God wants to deal with them. That hockey game became the number one sports event of the 20th century. Iconic. 
When God deals with your situation, it's an iconic thing. It's an iconic miracle. Stretch toward Jesus and watch what he does in your life. God, thank you for this time together, for your love and for your word that stretches us. But, Lord, we reach and stretch toward you. And I just pray, Father, right now that there's some people with some situations that need to stretch. They need to fall at your knees and stretch their hands toward you. To receive that supernatural touch, that that miracle. And Lord, we know that there's no situation too small and no situation too large. I also know, Father, that there may be some people here and and they're thinking, you know, I, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. I mean, I've heard about the Bible. I've heard about God. But this sounds like a Jesus that cares about me. And if that's you, I just encourage you right now to just say a prayer to yourself. Just say, Jesus, I know that I have a lot of failures, a lot of mess-ups, a lot of situations, and I've, I've fallen short of your standard. But I know that, God, you sent Jesus to live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, and to rise victoriously so that I could live eternally. I want to receive this gift of forgiveness, this gift of salvation. And I want to walk with you from here on out, God. I want to, I want to stretch and reach toward you every single day of my life. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the miracle of being adopted into your family. And we voice this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.